Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. I'm on a switch! Full Service Radio. He's so much arm. He's like as big as a superhero. Literally. Like superhero. Twice the width of your entire body. Like full on Marvel. Full on Marvel. And I could rest there, like with a pillow and a coffee. He could be the little birdie on his shoulder. With an ice cortado, because I don't want to drink too much coffee. So I'll just get an ice cortado. Obviously. With oat milk. Hello, everyone. Oh, hey. Hi. We're just, you know, scheming. We're just talking about people in the box, because we're in this gorgeous glass box on the beautiful podcast, The Beauty Archeo. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Professor Noir, with our host, Mick. Mix Monday. We are broadcasting live full on full service radio here at the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C. And we're watching a lot of very muscular people walk by our podcast window right yes, now. We're just talking about how beautiful people are when they come here. People, yeah, people dress themselves People probably. dress real cut here. They're looking good. They're smelling good. They smell. I don't know if they're... I haven't smelled anyone personally. Have you been sniffing people? Well, Monday? I did get a little waft of something lovely. <laughs> I think I was that was me. down the corridor. I think that was me. Oh, maybe. Do you smell me? This kind of like birch leaf mm. menthol There's no birch leaf in it actually, but it does smell like birch leaf. You like that yang yang. I like, I don't, I don't like yalang yalang. Stop calling it yang yang. I don't know how to say that <laughs> word. It is not yang yang. You make it sound like some like toilet bowl liquor. You got that yang yang. Cooked up in jail. Like you got that yang yang. Yeah. I don't like yalang yalang, which is a very expensive essential oil. It smells like expensive toilet paper. Yeah. And I don't like it. So thank you. Oh. But I would like for my toilet paper to smell like yalang yalang. So... You know, Charmin's get on it. You're like, you like infused toilet paper. I cannot I'm, laugh enough I, at you saying that word. Because I'm some yang yang toilet paper. <laughs> yang yang. Oh my God, I cannot say this. <laughs> yalang yalang. Why did you get me saying this? I'm so mad at you. Words are fun. <laughs> Words are fun. Words are hard. Words are fun. <laughs> Oh my gosh, welcome everyone. This is again the Beauty Archeo, your fashion history comedy podcast. We love to laugh, clearly. Truly. We love to look at people and talk about people. Um, but that's not what this podcast is about. It's about education, it's about nerding out on history. Yes. Um, it's about nostalgia. It's about memories. Hmm. It's about memories. Oh, true, <laughs> true. Yes. Ever since our No Bra podcast, I just like. I'm just letting them be free. Yeah, let them be free. Burn them. Burn them. Fucking burn them. Burn the bras. Burn the bras. Like, why? Let them, let the nips free. But don't inhale the smoke because there's a lot of plastic. Don't inhale the smoke. <laughs> Once you burn it, step far <laughs> away, okay? You need a safe radius. Just a safe radius. I would, I would suggest going inside, getting a glass of wine with your friends, watching it from a safe distance, the burn, just in case things get out of control. I would use a trash can, a metal possibly mm, yes. um i do not condone arson by the way don't use that i've been watching svu i know how this shit goes down <laughs> okay i'm just saying if you want to burn abroad do in the safe environment be conscious of the environment that you're in you know like let's not burn trees how to burn your undergarments you know don't do it in the amazon oh uh, girl 
Too soon. <laughs> Too soon. Well, closet clean. <laughs> closet clean. Let's closet clean. Yes. All right. This is the closet clean segment. You know what this is about. My closet is again on the floor of my room. However, I recently purchased shoe organizers. That's a game changer. It is a game changer. I realize I own 40 pairs of shoes. Mm. My roommate thinks it's disgusting. That's not too bad. It could be worse. It could be. It's been way worse. But I really love shoes, and I also know how to shop for deals, and so I collect a lot of shoes. We should do an episode about Esmeralda, that princess that was like the shoe goddess that had literally rooms for her shoes. Okay, I don't know anything about that, so we're definitely doing this episode. Yes. And Monday's going to have a story time with the kids. (laughs) Story time, children. um, (laughs) In a couple weeks on Esmeralda. But until then, let's closet clean some other shit. Okay, so the Amazon is burning. The world is ending. The world, I don't want to say the world is fully ending, but we do, it just seems like we have people here who just want the world to end. Right, like they're fast tracking it on purpose. Purpose, and they're just letting it burn, and it's just crazy. And like, I, you know, like I've, I'm not saying I am an expert on brush fires and natural fires, I'm not at all, but um, I have picked up some information over the years of just like watching crazy documentaries and things like that. And I know that sometimes things, you just have to let things burn down so that you can get it under control. Um, but there does seem to be something shady going on. Absolutely. Um, like money not like being denied for certain reasons, things like that. There seems to be something shady going on. And however, it is, infect- it is affecting our environment and will have catastrophic effects for the rest of our lives and the lives of our friends' kids, because we don't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> we free. We free. We free. Um, so, Yeah. <laughs> it's heavy it is heavy it's it is heavy. heavy let's you know what let's take that heaviness off of us for a second yes. or for a while <sighs> let's breathe i just wanted to get that out there because like it, it came up and like it, i've been thinking about it and i'm pretty sure a lot of us have um i have a, a wonderful thing happens with my youtube is that it brings up you know like everyone's youtube on your feed it brings up things that you might be interested in and my youtube has realized that i really love comedy and i love mm-hmm. to laugh okay booty and I love to laugh, man in a bicycle. I love full me suit. bike shorts like like it's full, real clothes. Like full, you know what? Full bike shorts, I've fully been contoured. Now I'm going to the club. Yeah, fully contoured bike shorts and like a print with the line. It's he's given a lot. Like neon chartreuse. Yeah. Speaking of black, like okay, black booty, but like um, the black lady sketch show on HBO oh. is amazing, <laughs> and it brings up clips from the show, and so I'm just watching clips every morning and crackling and hackling. Love it all morning. And there was one called. The basic ball Uh-oh. that Bob the drag queen hosts. <gasps> it's so funny. It's like, you are giving me depression. She is in full on nap. It's so good. Oh She's, it's so good. We love you, Bob. We love you, Bob. We love you, Bob the drag queen. Truly. Um, also, there is um, a rapper um, who has been around for quite some time. He's like, you know, friends of the Giselle Monet camp of like creative African Americans. Um, he is. Born in America, he's African American, but like African and Amer and like white American, right? Um, and his family is from Nigeria. His African side of the family, so he's very much so, you know, a voice in um, kind of like Nigerian culture and expanding culture, expanding Nigerian culture throughout the globe. Mm-hmm. Um, he does really well. He's very fashionable. His name is Jadena. It's J I. D-E-N-N-A. You've seen him before. He's like light skin, has this like 1920s 
kind of like finger wave with like yes. a beard. Yes. Really gorgeous. Recently he's been working out. Body sickening right now. Okay. Tits on fleek. Okay. I just said fleek, you guys. Oh. Uh, I know. I, it, it, I know because he looks so good. It just got snapped back <laughs> to nostalgia. Uh, <laughs> and But he in this like he was doing some discussion recently and talking about, um, you know, the presence of, of black women in culture um, of as well homosexuality in black culture and mm. the history and like not going into like a full history but touching on the fact that like in African and African American culture we deny homosexuality as being part of us as well we, we think of it as this western disease that was like raped into the men Ugh. and into the women and like yes you know that definitely was a huge part of what was going on in the slave trade and the violence however to say that something that is so natural to humans because we are animals in nature and denying the rich history that we actually have is a detriment because you do have this thing where you don't see the representation of you know african and african-american gay men being together especially not women and like really being together and now we see it more like pose obviously just had that moment which everyone was very excited about um but it does do a detriment to the expansion of culture and the expansion of people and people having that example to go off of. 100%. And so he does touch on it. And I pulled up the article. So I saw this on The Griot. Um, love them. They're amazing. They give it. They serve it. They report it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had to throw in a laugh because it got really silent. Um, <laughs> But in his new album, they talk about, he's talking about his new album, 85 to Africa, and he talks about a lot of controversial social issues. Um, and again, like I said before in the talk, he, it's actually on a, like a interview on Sway's universe. He talks about these things. Yeah. Um, so we should like post it. Do you mind posting it? Sure. And put it on the Google doc. And so I'll send you the Google doc because we are, we are so organized. We're so guys. organized. We have a Google doc. We got doc. a Google doc. Motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to post it on the Facebook page because um, I'm just, I'm just really excited to know that like someone like this, who has been an influential voice in like kind of like Afrofuturism as well mm-hmm. and young African-American culture and African culture, like to like talk about this and put it out there. And like, he is definitely not gay. And like, that makes me even happier is that it's not a gay person who is black saying this. Like, thank God. <laughs> right. You know, it's just like, I mean, my dream has always been for like us to just be in a room and just like talk it out. Totally. Because there's just so much denial. So, yeah. Yeah, and that denial can get very toxic very quickly. It, I mean, it already has been. It has been for, for centuries. And so, right. exactly. you know, time to heal. It's time to heal. Yes, it is time to heal. It's really time to heal. And the best way to heal is to have just calm judgment-free communication yeah you know i thought you were gonna say calm judgmental communication i was just like that too like, i'm just calmly quietly judging you yeah just yeah. like keep your judgments to yourself <laughs> <laughs> just a silent shade is all that's necessary thank you <laughs> no but really it's a beautiful thing when people can have two different perspectives and just talk it out talk through it speaking of perspectives i am drinking this has nothing to do with gay culture. Right? <laughs> I've been drinking. I've been drinking. I've been drinking. This kind of kombucha-esque drink by Sonomi. It's called lemon. It's a it's a sparkling switchel. Oh. So it's like lemon and spark. It's like apple cider vinegar, ginger, and honey. And obviously lemon. 
Sold here at the Lion Cafe. It's sold here at the Lion Cafe. <laughs> um, for the cup everyone runs for. Um. Yes. Um, and this is a very interesting trick. And so while you were saying that, and you were talking about healing, I'm just like, Listen, oh, I was just like healing with some lemon and some vinegar right now. Shoot. I, I feel so bad. I feel like a horrible hipster. I cannot get on the kombucha train. I can't do it. I, it's so weird. No like, matter how beautiful the flavor description is, it all tastes like salad dressing to me. <laughs> it's like, no, it's juniper and mulberry and currant. It's like, no, it's salad dressing. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So many people are going to be mad at me right now. Everyone has expecting- different tastes, but I just cannot get down I with the kombucha. I was not expecting so you to sorry. say that. It all tastes... <laughs> Like salad dressing it really to me. Is. It really is. It's like Newman's fucking own bitch. Like really, Newman's own should open up, do some kombucha, <laughs> and you should run the line. You should be the face of Newman's own kombucha. Like right I- here, you heard it right here. So Newman's own, you try to steal this idea, we're suing you. Number one, this was Dayton time on August. What's today? August August thirtieth at one twelve. Monday Spears is going to be the face and head of Newman's own kombucha line. Uh. <laughs> She's really excited. You I'll, I'll, put, I'll pour it on my kale. You should see. <laughs> I can't. I well, can't. at least you got the kale. <laughs> I mean, she's like, I can't. I mean, you are on the hipster movement. Um, you don't. You can't eat. Though. You can't eat though. I mean, you know, food and I have a complicated relationship, but I, I, I love it. I know. I always when it does me right. I, love I always it. make fun of my dear no, friend here. No, <laughs> about their food, but you know what? <laughs> this person keeps it trucking. Wellness is a journey. Wellness is a journey, and you are definitely on the Great Odyssey. Truly, <laughs> ain't that the truth? But you know what? I'm healthy right now. I'm finally like I got my curves. You I'm definitely like, have those curves. You look amazing today, by the myself. way. Oh, thank you. you. Look amazing you're casual but i'm really loving what you're doing you're like it's very berry no makeup doing no makeup again you don't need it i've been you know it's really crazy when i was in new york i did my very first naked faced photo shoot and i was terrified wow i was really scared i would not do that personally well right but it was such a transformative cathartic experience for me like actually finding pictures of myself like not like supernatural like that, which we are taught we are not supposed to be yeah. in front of the camera. Um, I mean, and I'm, being like, you know what? I am not mad at my face right now. Unless Herb Ritz is doing the lighting, I'm not doing that. This is so just you like outside in the street. You are brave. No lighting. You are brave. You are like Britney Spears going ball brave. Oh, man. That's brave. <laughs> <laughs> but brave on purpose. I don't think she meant to be brave. She was just trying to work through something. <laughs> Closet clean. Oh. So, everyone, we'll be back. We're going to take a little break, and we're going to come back with more Chanel Call Me Coco. I'm very here for that yes. song. Yes. Uh-uh. Yeah. Uh-uh. 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 <laughs> I, I, I clearly not a rapper. 
So I'm not going to try that again, but that was for you all. <laughs> you would be the kind of rapper that doesn't actually say any words. I No, I would say words. I would definitely. I have a lot of things to say. You do? Thank you. Somebody should give you you a podcast. I know. Well, we are on a podcast, The Beauty RKO. Hey, hi, welcome. The Fashion History Comedy Podcast on full service radio at the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C. I am your host, Professor Noir, with Mix Mundy. With Mix Mundy. In the mix. In the mix. They really love kombucha salad dressing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to piss off so many people with that statement, but I don't care. Or you'll probably create something. Watch. Watch is going to be a new restaurant opening. I'm just being real. Watch is our new restaurant. Okay. So last week, we opened up the discussion on Coco, Gabrielle Coco Chanel. Miss Frenchie McFrench a lot. Miss Frenchie McShade a lot. Mm -hmm. um, Who I still love. Created beautiful garments. It's a wonderful brand. Um, But, you know, we kind of laid the groundwork. You know, she was, uh, she grew up and was born completely and utterly dirt poor. Literally lived in a orphanage where her mother was a laundress. She died, went to another orphanage. Grew out of that, aged out of that. And then pretty much went into like the burlesque scene as a Pazoo's doing like comedy shows. Which we got the word right, Pazoo's, because I was saying something else. Yeah, that Pazoo's pizzazz. Got that Pazoo's pizzazz. And then once she got that Pazoo's pizzazz, she was like, you know what? Let me get a man. And so then she met Balzan. <laughs> and then from Balzan, she met Boy Capel. And then from Boy Capel grew out of her vagina, the beautiful brand of Chanel. <laughs> power I mean, of the pussy. Power of the pussy, literally. Yes. Power of the pussy and of the mind, because she it was a very intelligent woman, you know? Yes. Like, she was a very intelligent woman the entire time. You know, I think the thing is, is like when people grow up uneducated or people grow up not necessarily formally educated, we assume that they don't know. Right. We assume that they don't have vision. And a lot of times we find people who are, who are formally educated are the ones with no vision. They just know how to work in the system. And so having that unconventional education, having that unconventional experience in life, and also like seeking out life experiences is what she did. And that's one of the things that made her such a female icon, created a lot, created everything that we know of, created, yeah. you know, the brand. So, you know, after, so after like Balzan and Boy Capel, you know, she's in the 1910s, she obviously, she uh, obviously, but she started designing hats. Right. And designing hats for like wealthy women and mostly like she kind of the bohemian sided wealthy women, the more on the cutting edge of fashion wealthy women. Um, as that grew, um, later in the years during World War One, she opened up her first shop in Deauville in France. And, um, it was a hat shop, but she also started to like dabble with ready to wear and like ready to wear clothes made to order. Um, her own style was a mix of masculine and feminine, where it was a lot about comfort and functionality, but also still sleekness and mm-hmm. um, a lot of uh, taking away things and adding on new ideas and um, bridging the gap between her poor roots and her very high high society um, connections. Now, yeah. And from there, we see the beginnings of this huge, major, iconic brand and this change in women's fashion, how women see themselves in fashion. Mm-hmm. By 1919, um, after, like, by 1919, Boy Capel dies, and Chanel is left without her lover and her main source. And <laughs> I was waving at someone from the bowl again. Like, hi. Um, hi. Um, was uh, left without her, her 
like the love of her life, um, but still had a company and a brand that was growing. Right. And this is before it was a brand. It was just a design. It was a design house. It was, you know, it was famous at this point. It was becoming even more famous. And so we get into the 19 motherfucking 20s. Yes. And that, my friends, is the rest of our show. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, we get into the 1920s, which I always hate with this because a lot of people glaze over in movies about Coco Chanel. People always glaze over this period. This is the period that actually made Chanel. It was the most interesting time. It was the most interesting time. She truly was transitioning, finding herself as an artist, and building her team. Exactly. So, funny thing is, is like speaking of lovers, in the 1920s, um, Chanel actually meets Igor Stravinsky. Famous, I mean, music, dance, everything, high theater icon. Um, and he is working with Diagolas Belarus at the time. And they spark up a love affair. Like a small love affair, it was very short, but it was more of an affair of artists, mm-hmm. an affair of minds, an affair of emotion. Um, because again, this is after Boy Capel died, so I would assume that Chanel's not necessarily as open to lasting love. More of like getting that... Those, those life experiences. Yeah, those life experiences. And so connecting with people in certain ways, especially men, because clearly she has a a relationship connecting with men, I think, which I find very interesting. As a person who did so much for women, she definitely had a very masculine, heavy... Yeah, she had a um, lot of masculine energy. A lot of masculine energy. energy. Exactly. Um, And um, actually, by this point, she was already pretty well off. Mm -hmm. And um, she bought a house in the uh, Bel Reposario um, area, which is a neighborhood in Paris at the time um, and invited Igor Shavinsky to come and like live like his family to come live in her house oh okay but this also solidified a lasting relationship of artists not necessarily of lovers anymore right and it also solidified her doing costumes for Diagolas Ballet Russe for like the next like seven years yes, yes. and so as she was doing ready-to-wear fashion, opening up her couture house, she also was making a mark on costume design in, in, in the Paris Opera House, which mm-hmm. is like the highest form of entertainment and theater in France, if not in Europe. Yeah, and really informs why costume jewelry was such a thing that she started to integrate as well. And Exactly. And so let's go into... I would like to go into just saying those roots and like understanding like what she's coming out of, understanding why Chanel's clothes were so iconic and are so iconic. And so to go back, we're again, we're talking about Chanel's style was all about um, simplicity, streamlining, comfort, but still making a statement, still being present, still like putting their presence out there by going against the grain. And and yes. what were you going to say? Sleek statements. Sleek Those statements. And so yes. Mind. And so as that grain was very plush, very overstuffed, and still coming out of that, mm-hmm. Chanel's style when she started creating dress in the 1920s when the hemlines were starting to raise because of the war with the rationing of fabrics so hemlines were raised so she played into that raised the hemline about five more inches three to five more inches just above the calf or just right at the calf not quite the knee yet not get quite the key but like just above the calf right and then also creating a silhouette where against the grain again women's silhouettes before then cut women in half between the top and the bottom right in very exaggerated silhouettes she created a long line streamlined silhouette to 
respond to both war rationing of fabric and food rationing. Mm-hmm. So people, a lot of people actually start, a new body type started to emerge in this trend. And before it was about the woman being very curvaceous and voluptuous, not necessarily like big or plus size, but very voluptuous in that tiny little waist. During, during wartime with food rationing, people thinned out. Um, because of wartime, people moved a lot more and had to be more active. Yeah. I also feel like that straight up and down, more boxy type of silhouette is also a way of taking the power back. Yeah. You know, don't focus on the curves. Focus on the lines or, you know, being able to move well, and also, work. Well, also it says focus on the face. But yes. then, even more so, and this actually happened by accident, Chanel was getting ready for an opera and I want to say it was 1919 to go out. She was going to go out. And she, uh, this is after Boy Capel died. And she, I said it was really fast. This is after Boy Capel died. Sorry. I just, Bless him. I realized I'm not having a full on casual conversation with you. I actually have to enunciate. <laughs> and um, she was going out and she was doing her hair and she had her hair pulled up into these three like very intense braids. And she had her hair like wrapped up in this kind of like tresses of hair like lay on top of her hair. And she was going to do a curl or something, or her style, or her hairdresser, or like maid, and they like burned some of her hair. And she was like, "Well, fuck it, I'm just going to cut this braid off because this is too much." Oh yes, the birth of asymmetry. And then she cut the other braid off after that. Yeah. And then she had her maid cut off the third braid. Uh, reportedly, her maid cried as she was cutting off oh. this third braid because, again, women's ideas of beauty, their yes. idea of, of beauty for women was diaphanous, long hair. You know, like, you pull down that hair and you just look like, you know, Botticelli's Venus, ready to go. And she was like, I need to, like, I need to to function, I need to move, I need, like, this can't be all on top of my head like this. And she cut off the braids. And she had this rough version of what we now know as the bob. Yes. And people were shocked by this because now she's rocking this haircut. She looks like a fucking boy. Everybody's like, why is she like a boy? Hot. It's it's hot, but it's so controversial yeah. because she's going against gender norms. She's going against gender Yay. roles. And the funny thing <laughs> is, is that it wasn't the French that got onto it first because people don't understand this. As much as we say the French are so edgy they're actually much more traditional than we think they are and they were still in a lot of traditions when it came to gender and fashion there's some of these traditions of gender now to this day but and especially in gender and the expression of fashion and the expression of gender in fashion they're very much so held to those rules and so she like completely shocked the shit out of them but it was the American editor at the time, yes, of Vogue, who mm-hmm. saw her at this at this Paris party at the Paris Opera, and she was in love with it, and brought that idea back to America, to New York, and, to New York, and put it in and, and put it in Vogue, yes. And so then we see the birth of the flapper haircut starting to happen, yes. Um, short hair, short sleek, hair, straight up and down lines, sleek up and down lines. And so back to what I was saying before, this idea of the short hair of the bob, this sleek up and down line draws the draws the attention not just to the woman's body, but now it draws it up to the face instead, actually. And then more so, it makes you think not just what's on the face, but what's behind the face, what's in the mind. A novel concept. Do you know what I mean? Yes, but also, of course. But and it's interesting too because at this time in the 1920s, um, ideas from Freud 
um, and different scholars, yeah. people reaching more inside and looking into themselves. Um, psych- uh, uh, psychiatry and psychology, the practice of, grew more and more and became more popularized. And so again, this plays on all these different elements of a growing society, of a changing modern society. Mm-hmm. And that's just through one haircut. Okay. And one simple silhouette of a dress. Yes. Um, one of my favorite dresses I pulled on Pinterest. And as we talk about this dress, um, you know, as like the Coco Chanel silhouette, there's two things. So there's a very famous picture of Chanel in the 1920s. And she is wearing a mixed pattern suit. I was just going to say that pattern mixing. So the idea of the two-piece suit was not uncommon for women. By the 1900s, you had the walking suit, which was basically like the women's two, two, two to three-piece suit. It contained a jacket, sometimes a waistcoat. You would have the um, shirt waist, which is a blouse, the early incarnation of just a simple separate blouse, and the skirt. Chanel streamlined that down to like just fabric on the body. Yeah. And so for Chanel, back in like in Deauville, when she was really rocking the Le Garçon style, mm-hmm. she did it with like big pants to mimic the skirt. So she did it with like palazzo pants. She took men's sailor sweaters and paired it with like sailor cardigans and like long blazers. And she also used jersey fabric. And jersey at the time was only primarily used for men's underwear. Mm-hmm. So again, taking more men male elements and putting it on women's fashion. And jersey was also fabric that was so, it didn't wrinkle. And it stretched. Right. And so it was easy to maintain and it was easy to just whip out and just throw onto the body. Mm-hmm. And it was very soft and it moved with the body. And women didn't have that before ever. Right. Clothes that move with the body. Now, again, Chanel is not the first person to take women out of corsets. That was Marjane Lacroix and that was back in 1905 right. in Paris. However, she did give women the idea of luxury, comfortable separates. Mm, mm-hmm. and it's so <laughs> if you funny, want to think about it. It's so funny hearing you talk about this right now because I often say how 80s fashion pulled a lot of ideas from the 20s and hearing you talk about these things yeah. really validates that for me. It's very, it's very, oh yeah, the 80s. I mean like, all the way down, I mean, we can look at Princess Diana's outfits from the 80s exactly. just as a major iconic example. You know, wearing the you know, men's um, um, plaids mm-hmm. and blazers and, and blazers the and the tweeds. A Chanel yeah. tweed actually was also popularized this time, which is very, very, very iconic. Yeah, but, <laughs> very, iconic. But. very iconic for the brand of Chanel. Mm-hmm. And the Chanel tweed was based on um, hunting out, right. hunting coats same with the pants from the english from the english countryside Mm -hmm. but the actual jacket itself the page boy jacket the chanel jacket that we all know of which was created in 1950s was popularized but the early incarnations happened in the 1920s and those are popularized by the page boy um jackets by shepherd boys in like the french countryside yeah so the the idea that mandarin collar and that like short cut that falls right at the top of the waist mm-hmm. or like not even at the top of the well yeah at the, at the at the top of the waist or like just below the waist um that was popularized that started in the 1920s so right now in this picture that me and mundy are both looking at chanel is wearing mixed plaids and mixed plaids is something unheard of 
You did not mix your plaids or your patterns, your outfits matched to everything. The colors matched to everything. No. You had things made, so they all matched, and this went with that. She broke those rules and said, no, we are going to do separate so that your wardrobe, which again, now responds to a fashion fabric rationing time, yeah. your wardrobe is now more versatile. Mm-hmm. So you can extend your experience and how you want to look and extend how much, how many outfits you want to bring out and how many different looks that you want to create. Yeah, which is also perfect for a woman of the world who is traveling a lot. Exactly, exactly. Or just people who are also displaced after the war. Again, True. like during the World War One and World War Two, people were heavily displaced. Europe was fucking destroyed. Right. And so for people who were wealthy, you know, and still lived a certain lifestyle. I mean, like, yes, we just place, but a lot of people still maintained a certain lifestyle, mm-hmm. you know, like this allowed them to maintain that in a way that they still felt some kind of status. Um, but were now wearing more casual clothes. Yeah. So it brought this, it brought, it also brought the, I would say it helped meet the classes in the middle to a certain degree starting to see this kind of example of dressing from the higher classes. A bridge, totally. And the way she pairs these very classic casual things with her iconic multiple layers mm-hmm. of pearls also kind of balances those things out and bridges the e- two aesthetics. Exactly. So right now, what she is wearing is a wide-striped um, kind of sailor or Breton sailor shirt. Um, Breton is a, a place in France. It's like known like for their like schoolboy look of like wide sailor stripes, white and blue, that whole thing. That's the Breton style. Why are you looking at me like that, I'm Monday? just thinking of so many things that I cannot say about that. But yes, it's, the, it's, it's something Hold that on. you see in a lot of different types of communities. But what were you about to say? Because like your face looked like you're going to explode. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you trying to say I, to I me? Just, I just saw so many, um, yeah, it's it's very popular within the... It's just so many Madelines running around. Like, yeah, and it's <laughs> very, very popular within the female gay community. Well. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, I just yeah. saw so many lesbians all at once. <laughs> not actually from the box, you guys. Yeah. Not from the skybox, but like... Right, not literally. I mean, yeah, just in my mind. <laughs> but just in your mind. You just saw so... Just running at you. I'm like, oh, damn! <laughs> That would actually sound amazing. That Please, if that great. ever uh, a bunch of lesbians want to show up in like, like full Breton stuff and run at stripes. both me and Mundy, we will be very we will happy be about here that. With both arms, with open both arms open, you. both arms and both legs open. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh shit! I'm getting excited. So to um, keep going with Chanel and right, what Chanel, she's done, yes. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> We get in so we many. We get into trouble when I make a face and then you ask me what I'm thinking. And that I should not do that. I should not do that. <laughs> so the other iconic moment of Chanel's career in the 1920s was an item and a product that is now, I think it was like in the Guinness Book of World Records of like top inventions or like the like the the greatest inventions of the 20th century um, is this item. And it is the iconic perfume Chanel Number no. Five. That's right. Which I loved the story you told last week about how that happened. Um, well, it was true. It's <laughs> funny because it's true. I, I didn't even make it up. <laughs> um, so I did talk about the story of Chanel Number no. Five. Chanel Number no. Five. Chanel Number no. Five. Um, at the time, perfumes um, mostly came from French houses, although perfumery. And what we know of perfumery comes from several different places, but a bulk of perfumery of what we know of comes from both ancient Egypt and the Middle East. Right. So people who come for the Middle East about all political shit 
Just know that those that all that luxury shit that you buy from sofas to coffee to perfumes to cosmetics, those ideas come from the Middle East and that will be a whole other class yeah. that we're going to have to teach one day mm-hmm. because like that, that's something that I always want people to understand like when we keep fighting and this is, this is me getting on my soapbox when we fight with another country and try to rape and steal their culture from them and then blame them when they come back for us, please understand that you are linked to that country in so many ways that you don't even realize that you don't even realize. Yeah. So learn your history. <coughs> Damn it. <Yes. laughs> yes. um, but um, Chanel number five. So perfumery at the time uh, consists of really thick oils, um, perfume oils made from essential oils, very condensing, complex floral essential oils that became very expensive because to make essential oils is, you know, pounds and pounds of little, little tiny petals of jasmine and neroli and bergamot just to make like an ounce of essential oil. And so Did they have yang yang. Girl, they had that yang yang. Yeah, they had that yang yang girl. <laughs> um, and <laughs> um, actually, uh, yang 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 is in Chanel number no. five. Uh, that you mentioned that it's funny you said that. Um, and so Chanel wanted to create a fragrance that responded again to the modern aesthetic, the modern woman that she was creating. A perfume that was light that can be worn every day. Most of the, all the time. Before that, perfumes were traditionally worn at very special occasions for very special events. So right. you wore it very sparingly. Um, and so it was something that some, uh, women could wear every day and it can be an active scent. Um, and it was also something that responded to you know, that uplifted the scent of a woman that wasn't heavy and was very light. Mm-hmm. And so the thing is about Chanel that was so iconic is that Chanel number five, and she had other perfumes before this, but they were still made in a more traditional way. The thing about Chanel number five, and they weren't famous, they weren't like super popular, they just made like one-offs and things like that. But the thing about Chanel number five was that it was the first perfume to use multiple different notes, combining natural essential oils with chemical aromas. Right. And so, hmm. <laughs> so in the 1920s, um, she did take her business to the New Heights, and with the launch Chanel Number no. Five, it brought her to a category of just being like a respectable couture designer to a global powerhouse. Yes. Um, the legendary name um, comes from many different sources, um, some of which. Um, say that she had a fascination with the number five all of her life since she was a child. Hmm. Um, another for- source says that she went to a psychic as a young woman and the psychic said that number five will be her number, will oh. be her power number. Oh. Um, Chanel number five also was the fifth f- bottle in, so when she, had, when she was creating the fragrance, it was paid for um, it was licensed by a larger department store broker. Um, that department store broker met her actually um, at, um, what is that called again? Uh, um, Longchamp at the horse races. Right. Sorry, the department store broker met her at Longchamp at the horse races. And so, um, and broker owner, sorry, department store owner at the Longchamp races. And he had a laboratory already. They were creating fragrances and perfumes already. And so they worked with her to create this fragrance. And so they gave her, it went from like one to five and then from like nine to 24. Like it was some weird numbers. But those are the samples that they gave her. Mm-hmm. And like I said before, the, um, the, the 
um, tech that created all these different samples, put aldehyde, which is a, it was a um, aroma chemical that right. they had created at the time, which is a soapier aroma chemical. So that's why Chanel has that soapy, clean mm-hmm. scent mm-hmm. to it. Um, and they put um, aldehyde notes in each single one. So it was supposed to be like four, like three to four in each. And he accidentally put five in the fifth bottle. Yes. And she loved the way that smells. She's like, that's the one. Yes. Chanel's also made heavily from a lot of jasmine as well. Mm. And it's still made from natural jasmine flowers. So there's a full fucking jasmine plantation in France. Same one they've been using since the beginning. No okay. joke. I want to go there. It's beautiful. And there's a beautiful little like video of them making it. And they still distill all the petals and everything Ugh. to make Chanel number five. Yeah. Yes. It still happens. It still happens to this day. So the, but the bottle design is really interesting, too, because the bottle design also, again, responded to that clean, modern aesthetic that Chanel is creating and responding to the clean modern aesthetic of the 1920s. And so a lot of bottles were in the darker glass Mm -hmm. because dark glass allowed perfume oils to age and cure properly without degrading from sun exposure. Right. So because this was not a perfume oil and was made from alcohol and chemical and chemical aromas um, or aroma chemicals, um, this allowed the bottle a different array of designs. So she wanted a clear glass, almost invisible bottle is what she called it. And at first it had rounded edges mm-hmm. on the original bottle design and a glass cork that was a rounded glass cork. Oh, wow. Um, and so she was selling it only in the Chanel boutiques up until about 1924. However, it took off like wildfire. And so it started to sell globally. Yeah. Really. And during shipping, the bottles weren't lasting. They were breaking. So they redesigned the bottle to then have sharper edges with a thicker glass facet on each side, on each of the edges. And then they create that kind of diamond rectangular cork mm-hmm. for the top of the bottle. Yeah. And that is... The birth of Chanel number five. Yes. Wearing nothing but Chanel number five. Wearing nothing but Chanel number five. I actually lived that lifestyle for a while. One of my dearest friends and former roommates, um, Omar, when he traveled, would buy me Chanel number five. I miss you, Omar. I miss you, Omar. I do. I miss him so much Uh, all the time. All the time. And he would buy me Chanel number five. And I remember one time the lady was just like, Are you buying this for your girlfriend? He was just like, It's for my roommate. He loves Chanel number five. She's like, What? He's like, He really loves Chanel number five. Like, (laughs) He's like, just don't ask. You like, heard me right the first time. You heard me right the just first time. Just give me the damn bottle. Just give me the damn bottle. <laughs> oh. So as we go through the 1920s, um, Chanel is creating a lot of different trends. One of the other trends that she created were two-tone shoes for women. Um, again, you saw, I mean, like we saw different incarnations of like kind of two-tone shoes, but really like leather shoes in two different colors of leather were created for the first time for women and sold widely as like a shoe to wear on an everyday basis and that was literally a take of a men's shoe right the wingtips the wingtips Mm -hmm. which i love i mean i mean who doesn't like love a wingtip they also had a huge comeback in the 90s exactly exactly and then also chanel her thing was about accessories and so getting out of the floral you know um pins and brooches with like the giant floral hats and like feathers and parasols she instead took women's love of accessories and accessorizing in a different matter and that was the costume jewelry yes and creating um her relationship with 
the Bakelite company created a whole new array and category of costume jewelry where you're doing plastic costume jewelry. Um, she also created enamel um, jewels that represented sapphires and emeralds. And then as well, heavy amounts of belts. Right. Again, coming from a men's aesthetic of like kind of sailors and working men that have to use like multiple belts to hold up oversized pants. Because <laughs> we love oversized pants. Chanel was also the creator of loose fitting clothing, as we said before. But then also clashing prints, as we also previously mentioned. Going into the 1930s, Chanel had her rival, Elsa Schiaparelli, Italian designer and former painter, who is the grandmother of famous French um, fashion icon and film icon Marissa Berenson. Um, and Elsa Schiaparelli was all about the loud, brash woman, taking the idea of the modern woman up to like the highest volume, creating colors like shocking pink, while Chanel worked in pearl whites and jet blacks yes. um, and creams and nudes. Mm-hmm. She created she created mixed prints on a whole other level, creating work for creating work with Pablo Picasso, where right. it was very surrealist, bold bright colors of mixed prints as Chanel was just creating again more subdued prints mixed prints Mm -hmm. again dealing with the sailor um, French sailors and the Breton looks Yes. Um, one of the things that they rivaled in were was couture, and mm-hmm. so as um, Elsa Schiaparelli did more couture that was structural, um, using uh, shoulder pads, um, which we we love a shoulder pad here. We love here. a shoulder pad and very thin lines and very very thin lines to create kind of like a Y shape. Chanel created an up, a inverted Y shape by creating softer dresses out of chiffons and tools mm-hmm. that floated onto the ground. I mean, just simple pieces of just like a simple simple piece of silk but held up by two spaghetti straps barely barely even noticing on the shoulders one of my favorite photos is of a woman um her name is one moment because i have her here because i love this dress um oh marion morehouse duh, famous like actress marion morehouse yeah and she is wearing this beautiful black chanel sheath dress that i mean like i said before just drapes right off the body Gasp. and and it really like resonates. Yeah. So as we get out of the 30s, we are going to start next week and talk about and finish off with Chanel and her crazy ass Nazi affair during the Nazi occupation <laughs> of Paris in the 1940s and how she became a Nazi spy and how her shit went to shit because she made the wrong decisions. But I respect her for trying to survive. I'm just saying. Yes, and if you want to listen to our Girl Fights episode, we talk more about her rivalry with... Yes, let's start Girl Fights episode, which you did like two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, two, uh-huh. two weeks ago we talked more about that. So we are going to pause for today, you guys. We've had a wonderful class. We've had so much information. We're going to have another fabulous class on Coco Chanel. This is Call Me Coco, and we have a part trois. This is part <laughs> deux. Coming up next week, this is the Beauty Archeo. I'm your host, Professor Noir, with Mix Monday. We're your fashion history comedy podcast, broadcasting live, the f- broadcasting live on Full Service Radio every Friday at 1 p.m. from the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C. We will see you next week. Bye. Enjoy this beautiful day. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. 
Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.